we see those shops as hubs of knowledge for new collectors and, and families and, and a safe space for people to go in and learn about the hobby. So it's very important for us to have that space. But we also realize we live in a digital age and a lot of these shops also need to embrace that technology. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Jason Masha, who is the president of Upper Deck. Jason, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Hey, looking forward to the conversation. So I want to dive into the heritage of Upper Deck. You know, I remember when Upper Deck first launched back in the late 80s, early 90s, when, you know, I was a kid collecting baseball cards. How did the brand start in the early days and how did you end up becoming involved with the company? Yeah, so the, the founders of the company were trying to address a couple issues. There was a lot of forgeries and fakes in, in trading cards as the market was starting to, to pick up. And then they, they looked at trading cards and said, you know, this can be better. You know, the, the cards have basically looked the same way for the last 50 years. And there has to be a, a better way to present this a more premium feel. So when the, the founders kind of got together, they said, okay, let's, let's figure out how to do this. So they came up with the anti-counterfeit hologram that's still on our cards today. They introduced foil wrap, which was like a destructible version of, of wrapping the cards. So you could tell if somebody tampered with the packs. And then they went to, you know, a high gloss and premium stock that really showed the vibrancy of the, the colors of the, the games and the entertainment platforms that, that Upper Deck did and just made it a more premium experience than anybody had been used to in the past. And we maintain those same brand tenants today. For me, I started as a basketball brand manager back in, in 2006 and kind of worked up and had a various roles over the years to kind of where I am today. So you, you mentioned kind of some of the innovative things that Upper Deck did when you launched from the, you know, and a counterfeit to the foil packs. That kind of disruption and innovation has always been in the blood of Upper Deck. So how have you continued to push the envelope for the business 30 years later? Well, I think the team does a great job of coming up with new and innovative concepts kind of on a yearly basis from, you know, we put bugs in cards, we've done video embedded trading cards, we've done memorabilia pieces designed out of game use floor, there's always something new in the hopper, I think the biggest thing that the team has really launched over the last several years is UpperDeckEPAC.com, which is a online platform that allows people to open up physical packs of cards, but virtually. And you know you can store them online. We store them in a secure facility in, in Seattle, Washington, or you can have them shipped home. But I think more importantly, it gives everybody access to open a pack of cards, no matter where they are, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it allows you to socialize and, and trade with other people across the globe and create a social community that really hasn't existed since the days of when we were all on the playground trading cards. So let's talk a little bit more about EPAC. You know, one of the things I think Upper Deck has done a great job is introducing those new concepts. And that might be a new format like EPAC, or it might be a new sport like esports and being one of the first to kind of come out with a set of cards around that. How do you focus on educating consumers about a kind of a new innovation that's coming to the market and both educating and explaining while also trying to get them to buy the product? 
Well, I, I think it's always a challenge when you do something that's so far removed from the norm. I think in the case of EPAC, it has been difficult because it is an online platform. It lives in the digital world, but the cards are real. They're tangible items. And getting that across to people is really tough until they really get in and experience it for themselves or they, they know somebody who's done it. When you tell people, yeah, you can actually ship that card home and the, the card that you see is the card you get. So if, you know, Michael Jordan signed his autograph a particular way on that card and it's numbered, you know, number two of 23, that's the exact card you get when you ship it home. Those are kind of mind blowing technological advances that nobody else has seen or done. And it is hard to educate the market. So we've done it kind of in a slow, methodical kind of way. And, and it's the same when you, when you go into new markets like esports, you have a traditional collector and you're trying to bring on new collectors and then expand the horizons of the traditional collector and say, Hey, you know, esports is, is a big deal. There's millions of people that watch this on a yearly basis. And eventually we'll know some of these esports athletes, the way we, we know traditional sports athletes, but it's, it is sometimes hard to comprehend because it's a, a foreign knowledge base, right. For most people. So you just, it takes time. It really takes time to just educate people on, on doing something completely new and off the grid. Yeah. And so related to that, you've also been as upper deck, kind of a, a pioneer in the entertainment space, you know, things like Goodwin champions and others that go beyond just the maybe traditional sports world. How do you approach that in the entertainment side of trading cards? Well, I think that's one of the interesting parts of Upper Deck. You know, we're, we're viewed as a sports company, but we're so much more. We have a, a gaming division where we make uh, tabletop games and trading card games. We have an autograph memorabilia division. But we do have entertainment trading cards, and entertainment trading cards date back in this company to 1991. We've done, we started with, most people remember the Looney Tunes cards and Space Jam. They remember some of those early cards, but we've always done cards on the entertainment side. And we regularly put out sets for Marvel, both the comic books and the movies. Uh, we do different movies from Fox with the Aliens franchise. We do James Bond. We have a partnership with Kevin Smith and we, we do some of Kevin Smith's movies. And, you know, I think those card sets are not as visible as just traditional sports because we've all grew up with doing traditional sports. But there is a, a great industry behind the entertainment cards and the fans of those properties are, are really rabid fans and collectors of those properties. So over the last kind of really two to three years, we've seen this massive rise of collectibles as kind of a broad category. And as you mentioned, Upper Decks kind of sat on both sides. You have a trading card division, and then you have this really interesting memorabilia division. How do you think about the similarities and the differences between those two parts of the collectibles industry? Well, I think for trading cards, it's, it's something that people really get into and especially if they're doing it right they're collect collecting sets they're collecting particular teams or athletes there's just a variety of different ways to collect on the memorabilia side it's really having a passion for memorabilia and displaying and getting kind of cool items and it is very different markets the trading card consumer appreciates memorabilia but they don't approach it the same way the memorabilia consumer 
And for us, it's, it's, you know, the best athletes in the world, the, the LeBron James, the Michael Jordans, the Wayne Gretzky's, the Patrick Waz, the Tiger Woods, the Serena Williams. It's, you know, how do I, as a collector, get a piece of the coolest autograph memorabilia that I could get? And it is a, a completely different business model from, from trading cards. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So talking about the uh, the digital world, you know, you mentioned EPAC is something that you launched a few years ago. If somebody's really wanting to learn more about EPAC, what are you trying to really describe to them right now of the difference of EPAC versus maybe other digital platforms that might be out there? Well, you know, I think it's it's really interesting. So for us, because of the nature of what it is, so we have physical trading cards that are represented digitally. And, you know, traditionally, digital trading card apps have been around for, for a long time and some predate EPAC, which launched in 2015. But it's strictly digital. They kind of reside in their own ecosystem. And there's not a lot that you can do with them outside of that ecosystem. I I think the biggest difference for EPAC versus everything else is we have a lot of gamification within the space. So you're rewarded if you collect a complete set or you do certain things, you actually get free stuff. And the free stuff is tangible. They're real cards, which is exciting. I think everybody likes free stuff, generally speaking. But the fact that you can actually take ownership, if you want to send it home and and put it in your closet or or put it in your safety deposit box, you, you can do it. If you want to bring it home and sell it on eBay or sell it to a friend, you can do that as well. If you want to take it home and set up at a card shop, you can do that. And it is that bridge between physical and digital that is so much unlike any other thing that exists. So, you know, over the last year in particular, we've seen this rise of, you know, the NFTs, this kind of thing like Top Shot and others that bring that digital element. Where do you see NFTs going in the years ahead? Well, NFTs are going to have to really evolve from where they're at today. The NFTs are essentially just a newer version of uh, the trading card apps that have existed for, for several years now. They kind of reside in their own ecosystem but they have some cool functions and things that you can do in the digital world. You know, you can do, you know, highlights, you can, you can do fancy graphics and stuff that the digital world has been doing for several years, but there are some limitations for sure that definitely have to evolve. You know, for us, the definition of collectible is something that will live, you know, multiple generations that you can pass on to your kids or to a family member. And we're not there yet. There's no ability to, to take those things and, and, you know, put them on a jump drive and put them in my safety deposit box and, and pass them on to, to somebody later. And we really need to see the technology evolve over the next several years. And I think it will. 
So one of the things uh, really unique about your background is you've been in trading cards for a long time since the age of 12 when you went to you know, your first card show and set up a, you know, a booth and started selling. Over the last few years, we've seen a wave of entrepreneurship around trading cards. But entrepreneurship has always been at the center of the trading card industry with hobby shops in your local community, et cetera. How has Upper Deck thought about supporting the new wave of entrepreneurship that's emerged, whether it's breakers or any other aspect? So we saw this new wave coming in about eight to 10 years ago, and and we started a program. We have a co-op program. We're the only card manufacturer that has a co-op program where we actually help these young entrepreneurs improve their shop improve their website or even start a second store. So we'll we'll match dollar for dollar up to $25,000 in some cases to help these young entrepreneurs build their business because a lot of times as you know uh, when you're kind of a bootstrapped self-starting entrepreneur you just need that extra push and we take a lot of pride in the fact that we've helped a lot of these guys accelerate their business and help the drive that they have. And we've seen some of these guys that, that we've helped invested in over the years really take that, that investment and take it to another level. And, and they've done great. And we'll continue to, to make those investments in these young entrepreneurs as they come into the industry or they want to grow their business. So you've helped, you know, with that, it's been really on the physical shop side. How have you thought about that as we cross into things like breakers and other digital channels? Are you taking that same approach of helping? Yeah, I mean, as I said, we we actually will spend dollar for dollar co-op dollars to help these guys with their sites and, and their breaking okay. sites. But the one thing that's a little bit different about how we approach the hobby in particular is that we want to make sure that these entrepreneurs are invested in the industry long term. So we do require our dealers to have a brick and mortar hobby store in order to essentially be an authorized breaker and to get some of those investments that that we have that are available to these shops. And, and generally speaking, what we see is there is nothing like a brick and mortar hobby store for people to be able to go in and socialize and see the product. And most importantly, you asked about education of technology this industry has gotten very complicated than when a lot of us collected as kids. And, you know, we see those shops as hubs of knowledge for new collectors and and families and in a safe space for people to go in and learn about the hobby. So it's very important for us to have that space, but we also realize we live in a digital age and a lot of these shops also need to embrace that technology. And again, that's why we invest in the, in the shops to make sure that they're, successful in both the physical and the digital space. You mentioned the the new collectors and families and everything. And you know the week we're recording this is the week that came out that Walmart and Target are pulling products off retail shelves because of some of what's called the bad behavior maybe that's emerged in the industry. What do you think it's going to take to keep this next generation excited and introduce kids to the joy of the hobby without it just becoming something that, you know, big pocketbooks can afford to buy the product? Well, you know, that those rules don't apply to everybody. We, we're not having that issue with our products. And I think Upper Deck and the, and the team at Upper Deck has done a really good job of making sure that our product remains accessible to everybody. You know, one of the programs that we started back in 2015 in conjunction with Tim Hortons in Canada was to get 
low-priced, really high-end premium cards into the hands of kids and families all across Canada. You know, anywhere from 8 to 17 million packs on an annual basis at a, at a $1.99 or $0.99 cents with a purchase. And making those cards available to people at all levels, at all ages, is really important. And we've done a pretty good job of, of keeping up with that. And, you know, I think the, the other manufacturers just need to catch up a little bit. And they'll, they'll get there. I mean, unfortunately, COVID has caused a lot of issues with supply chain and, and planning and things of that nature. So I'm hopeful that, that everybody will catch up. So where do you think the industry goes over the next five years? Well, I'm really excited. We, we do have this young generation of tech-savvy entrepreneurs. I think you'll continue to see this balance between online and, and the physical shops will continue to grow. You know, We've seen, for us, Upper Deck certifying all the shops. We've seen growth in the number of shops for the last seven years. I expect that to continue as long as the, the hobby stays healthy. I think you're going to continue to see Gen X come back and you know bring their kids to the table and collect and enjoy collecting the the way that they they did as kids and you know I, I think there's a, just something healthy about being able to to do something you know with your family with your kids with your relatives with your friends on a regular basis that isn't in, sitting in front of a, a, a Zoom call or you know in a video game. So final question for you relates to the world of brands, you know, sports and you spent a lot of time on the sports side, even before upper deck, a lot of brands are involved in the sports world for sponsorships and other things. And you've seen a few start dabbling in the world of trading cards as well. But how do you think brands can get involved in this emerging world of trading cards? You know, to your point, the Tim Hortons partnership that you have, et cetera. Well, you know, I, I think it's a tough time right now because there are so many supply chain issues. But, you know, it's one of the things that was a, a huge initiative for us for the last, I would say, decade is getting good partnerships with key brands around the world and getting trading cards into people's hands and utilizing them as a tool for these brands. We've not only done it with Tim Hortons, we've done it with Hanes, we've done it with Gatorade, we've done it with Kellogg's and Nabisco. You know, they are great marketing tools for all these brands and they're collectible. So, you know, unlike most forms of marketing collateral for these brands, people save them till the end of time. You know, we see this with historical things, things from the the 30s, the 40s, 50s. I mean, if you go all the way back to trading cards, for better or for worse, they were advertising vehicles for candy, gum, and tobacco. And people have saved those for a hundred years. And in many cases, those trading cards have outlived the brand. So I do think it is important that brands continue to realize that trading cards can play a, a key initiative or role in their in their initiatives to build their brands. Well, Jason, it's been awesome to hear about the journey with Upper Deck and everything you guys are doing to continue to push the industry to new heights. So thank you on behalf of everyone and for spending the time. Hey, really appreciate you taking the time out. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com. 